Hello and welcome to episode 1207 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Monday, August 14th. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, joined this morning by Justin Mason. Justin, good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you doing? Not too bad. It's a nice Monday morning here. We are in the middle of August, which still feels crazy. You know, football's creeping, but uh, hey, trying to trying to bring home some cash spots and titles with the uh, home stretch here. What do we got? Seven, eight weeks left? Not too much. Yeah, I, How think, you doing? I, I, I think I counted out last night, and I think it was like, oh, there's uh, seven more fab periods. And, seven fabs? Okay. And I was like, okay, let's, let's figure out how I'm going to spend my $57 <laughs> with seven fab periods to go through a little quick math and go, okay, I can afford to spend this much each week. And, um, and of course, I went over that because uh, I've got too, <laughs> <laughs> too many injuries right now. But just, you know, trying to keep my head above water in some leagues and uh, in other leagues, trying to knock down, you know, some league championships. Hey, maybe even an overall. Let's maybe hey. let's let my auction team get hot right now and, and take down an overall. That'd be really nice. One thing I want to ask you about, um, actually, I don't remember if you did any, so maybe not. Did you do any gladiators? I did one, and my team is in third place in spite of the fact that I had Alec Manoa as, like, my number one pitcher. Uh, Had I not drafted Alec Manoa and drafted you, I'd be in first place. (laughs) Do you know how many injuries you have offhand? Like, how many guys that are strictly on the IL right now? I can bring it up really quickly. Um, Uh, While you're looking that up, I I did three. Two two are really bad, and it's just funny to see how awry some of these guys. For those that don't know what Gladiator is, it's just straight up the 26 rounds. It's it's the lineup. The two catchers, the infielders, the corner middle, five outfielder, util, and then the nine pitchers, and that is it. There's nothing to change. There is no pickups. You have your guys. So 10th and 13th and two of them, but then first and another, which surprises me because... They're without a bunch of guys, but I guess it is a battle of attrition. So where are you at right now with your third-place team with, with guys out? Uh, so all my pitchers are, quote-unquote, healthy, you know, outside of That's Alec a Manoa. huge advantage. Yeah, outside of Alec Manoa being in the minor leagues now, um, which is probably best for my team anyways, right? I, I'd, right. Probably, I'd probably rather just get a zero from him kind of moving forward. Uh, my offense, not so much. Uh, I just got Jonah Heim back, which is nice. But I've got Josh Young, uh, Taylor Ward, Brandon Marsh, I got Ward, uh, Matt Mervis, who I've gotten like absolutely nothing from this year, uh, Jared Kelnick. I just got Tyro Estrada back. Um, so my offense is uh, in pretty rough shape. Oh, I also have Wander Frank on this team, which we're gonna, oh. gonna briefly and, mention here in a second. So yeah, uh, yeah, the offense not doing too well, but I got 98 points. I'm in. I'm in third place. Uh, and I'm hoping to just keep third place and just not drop. So yeah, uh, might, might, might as well just at least keep third there. But it, it was a great uh, mode. I really enjoyed the mm-hmm. gladiator situation. I'm gonna do it again as long as they're running it. I'm definitely getting in them again. Really I think they will kind of see how teams go. I think they will. I think they were really popular. Yeah. Success. So we'll see how that goes, and maybe uh, we'll join some that uh, people can jump into if they want. They weren't super expensive, and it's just a lot of fun to do the 26 player draft and say, okay, that's it. That's the team. Um, let's go ahead and move forward. You mentioned that we will bring up Wander Franco here. Obviously, we don't have a lot. So we're only just going to point out that he's not traveling with the team. Uh, so take him out of your lineup. You know, Make sure you have yourself a replacement, perhaps for the entire rest of the year, to be honest, yeah. because it's um, 
we, we don't know where this situation is going. For those that don't know, you can go look at the allegations on Twitter. There's a lot of, you know, Twitter stuff flying around right now. Nothing terribly official, so we're not going to make too many big statements on it. But with him not traveling with the team, you're taking Wander Franco out right now. And obviously, as this proceeds and if there's issues and, and he's you know guilty of what he's accused, we will address it, you know, more thoroughly then. But until then, you just take him out and you, and you move on. You're not preemptively cutting anywhere. Um, not that the fantasy spin is the most important part, if no. this is indeed true. So just keep an eye on that. But right now, you can take Wander Franco out of your lineup. Uh, let's move on to a, a more positive baseball uh, note here. And I just want to ask you point blank, where's Matt Olson going next year? Because my man is absolutely blazing right now. One of the best hitters going. Always been a tremendous power hitter. Bringing everything as part of that uh, huge Braves lineup. 43-107-273. If I had told you that was the finishing line, you'd have been fine with that. Throw in 94 runs for Matty O as well. He's got a month and a half left to add on to that. What are we looking at here with Matt Olson? Is he a possible second rounder, late first rounder? He'll be 30 next year. How are you feeling about Matt Olson, who leads baseball in homers and ribbies? I'm going to guess he's going to go around the same spot that like Pete Alonzo went this year, right? That's exactly so, what I was thinking about. Yep. So yeah. Second rounder. Yeah. So like mid second rounder that sometimes will, uh, you know, get pushed up towards the end of the first round that, uh, or could fall into the back end of the second round, depending on your draft. So, yep. uh, I mean, the, you know, thing about Olsen is, you know, he doesn't steal any bases. We're not, you're not getting any stolen bases from him. True. Um, while you love all the RBIs this year, uh, can you really expect those to be repeatable, uh, you know, next season? I think it can. No, but, but you can put them for 100. Extent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so I think I think there's some real reason to think he's obviously going to regress some next year, but uh, he's been a godsend, especially with how like he kind of started. Uh, it didn't seem like what he was doing was going to be very sustainable, and it just has been. It's been fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he just has been, Matt Olson's been blazing the entire season. Eight, nine, eleven, eight, and seven homers, seven homers this month, and just half the month, so it is his lowest total so far. Give him the last two weeks here, and we'll make sure that uh, that he tops the, the eight that he's had as his month low right now. Matt Olson is amazing. I agree he'll be kind of uh, attached to the Pete Alonso draft spot, I think, and you might have your preference of one over the other, but you're talking about two of the premier power hitters in the game. One of the things that I really liked about Matt Olson coming into this year was the batting average upside. He hit 240 last year. Uh, 271 the year before that. I just didn't really see Matt Olson as a sub-250 type of guy. So while I didn't know that he's going to lead the league in homers and ribbies, at least through this point, we'll see if he finishes there, I felt confident that he's a better than a 240 hitter. The 273 has been really nice for Matt Olson. And we're going to talk about another guy on the Braves here in 3-up, uh, 3-down three three that we might have to do a Mia Culp on uh, because it's been a long season and things have maybe changed. But we'll get to that in a moment. Let's shift over to closers but also talk next year a little bit there hasn't been at least it was, maybe it's my bubble that i'm in but there hasn't been a ton of closer talk in the in the twitter sphere the pod pod sphere whatever just in the fantasy world in general because there haven't been a bunch of new ones to pop up justin there's nobody freaking available if you don't have saves you're scrapping and clawing for like a, a save or two a week off the wire does this mean closers will be more expensive next year 
or less. And if you look at it real quick before you answer that, I will point out that eight of the top ten were drafted in the top 113 picks this year with only Craig Kimbrell at 264 and Kyle Finnegan at 234. Uh, those are the only two in the top 10 that were drafted outside of the top 113 picks among closers. What do you think about closers next year? What about you personally? Are you going to pay more? Are you trying to pay less? Where are you at on closers now after this season so far? Uh, I was just kind of doing counting, and I think I counted that of the 30, you know, quote-unquote, closers currently, 20 of them were were guys that we thought were the closer coming into the year. So, like, there just has not been this massive turnover that, we're, that we usually see. Um, I don't know how much it'll change things. I think in some ways some people are going to kind of opt for the, hey, you know, I can get my good guy late, right? Like, there's going to be another Carlos Estevez. There's going to be... You know, um, you know other. But you, you know, have to land on him too, right? Yeah, and just because this year ha- there hasn't been as much turnover doesn't mean next year won't be um, as much turnover. And I mean, I think we've seen year to year the vast majority of the elite guys come from those first, you know, ten closers taken. So it's not going to change my strategy too much. I think if people. Uh, really try to pull from like this season as being an example of why you shouldn't pay for saves. Uh, I think they're working off a too small of a sample. We've got a uh, lot of. I, I also, I also think it runs counter. I don't think yeah. you can make a case that you shouldn't pay for saves. I, I think paying for saves completely worked this year, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's a small sample to say. I, I don't want to go the other way and just say, well, this year it worked. It always works. I think it works more often than it doesn't. Yeah, I think paying for saves is a good thing. Uh, I've been doing it the last several years. I find, you know, anecdotally, I haven't done the exact, uh, you know, mathematical research to see exactly where I perform in saves and everything. But I also one of the, my biggest benefits to drafting saves is not having to play in the waiver pool mm-hmm. and spend so much of your waiver capital. You know, we get a thousand dollars in the NFPC world, which is what we focus on a lot. But in leagues where you only get a hundred. I think it's even tougher to want to be out there trying to go. And again, this year, there's been nobody that, yeah. you know, who's, who's the first guy here? I'm looking at the Razzball. Will RPs. Smith, probably. Will Smith, but even he had his believers that people drafted, you know, people that drafted him. And he's only 22nd among relievers. Oh. A lot of these relievers that go from 11 to where uh, Smith is at 22nd after that top 10 are guy are middle relievers that have popped up with wins. Matt Strom. What kind of what kind of save total does he have? A couple incremental ones. Um, Tanner Scott, he doesn't have a ton of saves, does he? Um, I know no. that I know that no. Florida situation's been a nightmare, and he's up there at uh, as the twentieth reliever. Uh, I mentioned Matt Brash, Matt Strom. You know these guys. Joel, Joel Piamps is the twenty third ranked reliever. Does he have any saves? Maybe an occasional one. He, he's in Milwaukee. For those that don't know, he pitches brilliantly. But, like, we're no, not they're, even seeing they're up, guys. They're up there because of their wins. Stealing like, wins, right? Yeah, yeah, Brash has, like, a million, I think. Like, like, when Eli Morgan had, like, 12 wins as a reliever, like, and all of a sudden yeah. he was, like, a top 25 starter. Brent so. Suter had had a bunch of wins yep. one year. There's always a few guys. You can never really predict them, though. They're always so tough to find. But anyway, you just look at that top 10 reliever list, and then you've got uh, Seawald at 11, Estevez at 13, Kenley at 14, Robertson, 15. Emmanuel Kwasi, Yohan Duran, 
Rysel Iglesias at 16, 17, 18. All of the main closers are within the top 20 there. Paying for saves, I, I think it's kind of a must. We're just not seeing the turnover. And it is weird because it feels like there are fewer locked-in guys, and yet we look at this list here, and there's been a lot of locked-in guys. And maybe it's just been an interesting year where some of these guys, not many guys have flopped from their spot or had injuries. I'm going to continue to pay for saves, though, Justin. I, I am, too. And, I mean, I think what will end up happening is those people that don't like to pay for saves are going to try to validate what they think, and the people who do like sure. like us are going to try to validate what we think. And, I mean, that's what pretty much happens every year. You know, I, th- I don't think. But, but the be- people on the other side, they actually don't have a case this year, though. Right, like there is no well, not paying for saves case. There is, I mean, there's the case that you know it's not that you're not paying for saves; it's that you're not paying a high price for it. And like that, they're going to put together that hey, like hey, two years ago is Daniel Bard, this year was Carlos Estevez, which are guys that you didn't have to pay very much for, but they, One guy they got you a ton of saves. Um, and that's the argument that hey, listen, I can either find saves on the waiver wire with guys like Will Smith. Or I can, you know, you know, take one of the last closers available and end up with Carlos Estevez. Um, I think I think people would be deluding themselves I to think that they can perfectly land on the right one. Like I loved Estevez coming into the year, so I even liked one of the, you know, one of the best uh, late hits. I'm still gonna pay for saves. Yeah, because well, I can still get him as my closer two or three. That's and exactly feel what I was fantastic. Say. Yeah, it, it, for me, it's like I still want my ace. And then I want to get a Steves, so maybe now I got three. And then if I'm in a trade league, I got some flexibility. Or if I'm in an NFBC situation, I, I can climb up the overall with a bunch of saves. So, mm-hmm. again, we still have two more uh, month and a half left. We'll kind of assess it when the dust settles in, in October, November. But it, it, it really tough case for me. And over the past few years, I've just paid more and more for saves, and I don't regret it. Yeah. Like, yes, yes, you're, you're, you're giving up those rounds where there's some linchpin hitters or whatever. I just feel more confident about finding guys in the middle and late rounds that can hit or uh, uh, can start for me versus saves. And I just don't want to play the in-season saves game at all. Uh, let's play a little three up, three down. Let's start. It's all hitters today. Let's start with an Oakland A on the positive end. How, how about that? That's pretty nice. Uh, it's very rare, too, but it is It is nice. And I got to be honest, I'm, I'm personally benefiting from this one. That's not the only reason he's on here, but Zach Geloff is one of the hottest fantasy players going right now. He's been a massive pickup for folks, and he was a bit of an afterthought. Understandably, too. I'm not even saying that, like, I, I landed on him and nobody else did. People picked him up, but he just wasn't some big fanfare guy. I don't even think he was my number one. Actually, it might have been the week I got him because I need saves so much. Zach Geloff, 23-year-old, had 12 homers, 20 steals at AAA with a 304 average. That's PCL, though, and he's coming up to Oakland. So you got to temper your expectations. Well, he's hitting 281 with eight homers and six steals now after two homers yesterday. Problem with Zach Geloff is the disconnect between the amazing fantasy production so far and the supporting skills. You're looking at a 29% K rate, 8% walk rate. K's are in line with where they were. He swings and misses. That's part of Zach Geloff's game right now. Probably part of how he gets to the power. He's up there hacking. Walk rates dropped from 13 in the minors to 8%. Um, and he's riding a 28% homer to fly ball, which Justin, call me crazy, don't think that's going to continue. So no. you, you've got a meager plate profile, 
and some really good run hot on the homer to fly ball. But I believe in the speed. You know, he's 6-for-7 on the bases. He's going to play every day. I'm still pretty in here on Zach Geloff. Uh, what do you think of the 23-year-old as he's been blazing hot for his first month in the majors, 25 games? Yeah, I mean, there's going to be some massive regression here. Uh, he's got a 17.6% swinging strike rate. Uh, he's making way below league average zone contact. Um, I, I think there's, you know, his XBA is 243. That seems much more in line with his actual true skill set. That being said, like, there is speed in the profile. The A's have shown they will run on the bases because they've got to manufacture offense uh, to the best of their ability. And he's had some surprising pop. Is the 27% home run to fly ball rate uh, sustainable? <laughs> Absolutely not. And so maybe he hits like three or four more home runs the rest of the way, but he still steals another 10-plus bases. And, you know, 243 batting average is fine. Like that, That'd be fine. Yeah, I, so like I, I don't think that he's gonna hurt you necessarily, but this is a sell high point if you can sell high. Yeah, if somebody's looking for somebody like a Zach Galoff, they want some power speed combo. You don't necessarily need him. Sure, turn around, and try to flip him uh, because listen, time's running out too, and the season can run out before the skills totally catch up to Zach Galoff. He could still maintain a twenty percent homer to fly ball the rest of the year, which is something that we wouldn't project him for twenty twenty four. But if he runs that the rest of the way with the 28 that he's done so far, great. You can still get a bunch more homers. One of, one of the great things, and we're going to talk about this in the three down, to be honest, um, is guys like this, these power speed guys, the reason that they're so valuable is even when they're cold, if they're damaged, you know, in a, in a big cold streak, they only have like three hits in, their, in the last two weeks, but two of them are homers, and then they got on base enough to steal like four bases, they still keep that fantasy juice coming in. And again, I'll highlight that with our number one guy in three down. But let's move on to Tristan Cassis. Tristan Cassis, excuse me. Uh, huge fan of his coming into the year. Got to be honest, I never considered cutting him. I was, I was always you know, kind of going down with the ship. But I was bummed early. I was like, man, the, the power's just not there. I, I really like this guy. I, th I think at the very least he should be hitting homers. And I had six through May uh, with a really modest uh, OPS, too. I was just like, I don't understand. 667 OPS through May. Since then... 296 average, 13 homers, 29 runs, and ribbies. Coming in a little light there, that's only an 81 pace for those, but 36 homer uh, on the full season pace. And since the All-Star break, he's just on fire, hitting 329 with 10 homers, which is a 60 homer pace for Tristan Costas. Obviously, it's a small sample that's inflated. But add it all up, it's 19 homers on the year with an 836 OPS, looking pretty damn good. Tristan Costas, is this a breakout year that... Uh, you know, those that were in on him expected. And do you believe in him going forward, Tristan Cousins? Yeah, we, we talked about him right after the All-Star break. And I said, this is my biggest buy low of the second half. I thought he was going to have a massive second half because he was making really, really good uh, progress and strides in terms of in-zone contact, uh, which had been kind of his bugaboo uh, it, earlier on or early on in his career. Uh, mm -hmm. But he was doing it while keeping all the power metrics. So, like, hey, you're making a lot better in-zone contact, and the power is still there. You're not sacrificing the power to get that. Um, so I, got, I thought this was going to be a big breakout, and he has been. I think he's going to continue it. Um, and I think he's going to be a guy that uh, people, like, kind of circle on their drafts come, you know, uh, November, December, and January. So yep. uh, he's going to be one of the most written-about guys in the offseason as, hey, 
this is the second this was the second half stud last year that you need to draft. Uh, but if you had been listening back on July 18th and we talked about him or read any of my uh, kind of buy low articles, uh, you already got him on your team and are enjoying this kind of run. So absolutely, um, or, or before the season, yep. yeah, tapped him as a breakout. Really liked him. So uh, this show's been very pro Tristan Casas. The results are paying off, and yeah, you did hype him on our on our three up, three down for the second half, and uh, he's been absolutely excellent, big time power source out there, Tristan Casas. Now comes the Mia Culpa, I think. Uh, we'll we'll see how you feel about it, but Michael Harris the second is on three up. And he's been on fire. Listen, we faded him at the beginning of the year, uh, you know, in draft season. We were we were out at, on a second round price. Still feel fine about that. Um, he's not a second rounder right now. Okay, but maybe we got a little too back, Patty, saying like, "Huh, we, we undersold it. We you shouldn't have even drafted this guy. This guy's terrible." Uh, obviously, we never took it that far, but he was playing poorly. And there was a period, I believe, where we said, "If you're cutting Michael Harris." We get it. Um, and so, whoops, because unbelievably great since June 1st. Now, when that was being advocated for, or at least discussed, I don't remember the exact, I'm, I'm not trying to you know, pretend that we never said that. I, I'm fairly certain that we did say you can cut him. He had a 526 OPS through May. That was only 34 games because he missed a lot of time in April, but it was really, really bleak. And we were like, listen, if you're moving on from him in shallower formats, we get it with Michael Harris the second. But again, that was incorrect. Since June 1st, 344, 375, 551 slash line with nine homers, 11 steals. That's a 24 29 full season pace. And he's been absolutely crushing it. He had a season low 479 OPS on May 25th. Since then, he's on, on fire even more so um, with a 335 average. So, Michael Harris, he's killing it. Uh, we checked in on him on June 30th. And since then, you can find even a bigger line. Were we wrong? Do we have to take a mea culpa on Michael Harris the second? No, because one of the things we did say on June 30th was, hey, listen, if he's gotten dropped in your leagues, you should be picking him up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I picked him up in one league and tried to pick him up in a couple other leagues uh, where he was dropped just because there's still talent there. What we didn't love was the profile uh, the profile has gotten a little bit better, but not a ton. You know, I mean, he makes he's making league average zone contact, which is great, um, but he's always kind of made league average zone contact. The issue is he tends to swing and miss outside of the zone a fair amount. He's still swinging outside the zone a fair amount. He's just making more contact outside the zone, which is helping. Um, so I don't know that we were wrong. Uh if you look at kind of where he is in terms of the player rater, he is not anywhere near that second round pick value uh, that people were taking him out uh, at. I don't think so. That's, yeah, that's why I still feel like you know. Again, if you cut him based on our advice back in May in shallow league, sorry about that. I, I felt like I don't know where this guy's at, and you got to make moves in shallow leagues that can that can burn you, right? Like. You can't sit on your hands completely in a shallow league. You will not compete. You've got to be churning. And sometimes that means cutting a high pick. Who then turns it around? So, yeah, he's still not a second rounder, uh, Michael Harris. What if he What if he continues at this pace for another month and a half? Then where you're at for next year with Michael Harris? You know, if he puts up another strong 40 games here, obviously he won't be a second rounder next year, I don't think. He'd, it would have to be a 
pretty hell of a forty game, you know, pretty good hell of a forty games there. But where do you see Michael Harris's value next season? I mean, it'll be it'll have to you know kind of determine or be determined based on like what his draft price was. Because my my issue wasn't, and I think your issue too wasn't that we didn't think he would put up decent numbers. It was always cost. Yeah, it was always the cost. Like you know, spending the second round pick on a guy because I think some people were projecting him to be you know a thirty thirty guy. He's not going to mm-hmm. be close to a thirty thirty guy. Um, not yet, at least. No. I think he could develop into more power and be like a thirty thirty guy down the line. But I don't think Michael Harris is has that kind of game changing power just yet. No, um, and I'm trying. I'm trying to bring up my projection that I had for him. Um, see if I can do that real quick. Um, because I don't think like I'm like com- I was completely off base. Let's see. Okay, so I had him for 20 home runs uh-huh. and 23 stolen bases and a 269 batting average. I'm gonna be a little okay. low on the stolen bases, maybe, and a little low on the batting average, but like maybe. I think that's a pretty good line, all things considered. Um, yeah, right now he's pacing for 19, 27, and 288. What did you have for the steals? Uh, I had 23. So yeah, if you miss by four, yeah, and then you said two sixty nine average, and he hits two eighty eight, it's hard to project guys for too high of an average. You know, you're always going to be cautious on that. And you had him dropping from two ninety seven to two sixty nine. Yeah, I think if he if if he kind of keeps on this pace, Michael Harris, and that's where you end up, I'd say that's a pretty good projection. And again, it always comes down to cost, and we just didn't want to pay a second round cost on him. And, again, we do stand by that, even though the in-season turnaround has been nice. Shouts to Michael Harris there. It's it's a higher-profile version of the Jake McCarthy thing, where mm-hmm. we didn't like his price inside the top 100, but then when he was cut everywhere, and Michael Harris, for the record, was not cut everywhere. Jake McCarthy was cut almost universally. Harris was only popping up in some waiver wires. But it's it was the higher-end version of that, where it's like, well, okay, we'll, we'll take him for free. But we just didn't want to pay second round. So, well, and I think, I think one of the things that we haven't even mentioned that's important that we talked about early on the season is, hey, where's Michael Harris going to bat? And he's batting, he batting yep. ninth almost all year. Um, and I don't see that changing necessarily coming into next season, especially with how amazing the top half of that lineup is. He's probably going to ninth again. Particularly so. Ozzy Albies, right? And yeah. I know there's a lot of concern about Ozzy Albies. I think that's another thing, too, is we've always been pro Ozzy Albies. Mm-hmm. So the people that were more negative on Albies are thinking, well, he's going to move down in the lineup and Harris can take his spot. You and I are, are pro Albies, so we're thinking, no, he can reemerge up to the top of the order and keep Harris lower. And that's exactly what's happened. So, you know, okay, so he's, let's say he's 275, 20, 25 by season's end. So he brings that average down. Or even give him 280. Where are you drafting Michael Harris next year? If he's if he's like a fourth rounder, are you in on that? Uh, probably not. I think, it, I think it really depends on who else is in that fourth round. But, I mean, in the fourth round this year, you could have gotten, you know, guys like Randy Rosarena. Um, Isn't that kind of who Michael Harris is? No, I mean, Rosarena has been better than Michael Harris. Has he, though? He, I'm pretty sure he has. I mean, I'll... Composite-wise, but, but it, that season... What you know, that that season line I just gave you, yeah, Rosarena's fourteenth. Uh, Harris just isn't gonna. Harris is thirty fourth at outfielder, uh, versus the Rosarena's fourteenth. It's gonna be the counting numbers, right? Yeah. That 
that is going to yeah, I mean, because that it's a big deal to bat ninth. Like it's like it's, a- that hurts. Absolutely, but but isn't isn't batting ninth on Atlanta like batting seventh on a lot of teams? Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I don't know what the cutoff is, and it's still lower half, right? So it's mm-hmm. still worth bringing up. I'm not even saying that to completely dispute your point. Because if he's batting ninth again next year, you also probably can't project the Atlanta offense to just repeat what they did. You know, we would expect them next year to still be a great offense, but maybe not top of the scale to where they can sustain somebody at nine. But yeah, I'm looking at it now uh, between a Rosarena and Harris. They have like a 130 plate appearance difference. I think that's probably the biggest difference is just the volume. Otherwise, I'm going to see them pretty similarly. And while I do love a Rosarena, the 29-year-old Rosarena versus 23-year-old Harris, if they're going in a similar round, or if a Rosarena is going earlier, I'm waiting and pivoting to Harris. Uh, this is just the same problem in reverse. If a Rosarena emerges into the second round, as much as I love him, I'm not taking him. I don't think a Rosarena will, though. I, I think a Rosarena will still be. I mean, you look at like Cedric Mullins after the years he's had, he was still in the fourth round. Uh, I know that one hasn't uh, been as good this year, but... Um, what a day! What a what a day yesterday for yeah. uh, oh, that man. was so awesome. For those that didn't see it, he robs the potential go ahead homer. Uh, Cedric Mullins does in the bottom of the ninth. They hit a homer immediately. The next batter, like I might have even been the next pitch. So the yeah, next okay. batter hits a homer, undercuts his great catch. It's kind of a bummer. He comes up in the tenth, hits the go ahead homer. And it wasn't walk off because obviously they were in Seattle. But he hits, Cedric Mullins hits the homer. So he robbed a homer. Then they have the depressing moment of giving up a homer. Then he hits the game-winning homer. Just in a crazy, crazy sequence for said Mullins. But anyway, yeah, to your point, you know, he was fourth rounder uh, around pick 55. You know, Robert was there as well, 51. I think this is kind of the area that a Rosarena and Harris should be in. In fact, they went right next to each other this year. I didn't even realize this. Harris and a Rosarena. And I know we've been saying second round for Harris. That's a little unfair. In the... Main event. He was more of a third rounder, thirty eighth pick. A Rosarena was also thirty eighth. I think that I think that was though a little bit of just like um, you know the pitchers getting pushed up, which won't happen sure. in your average league. Sure. I mean, he he was still the bottom line is Harris was a very high pick, and we yeah. were fading. But for next year, I think I put a little bit more of a split between Harris and Rosarena because they're having similar seasons, and then I'm going to take that age gap with a Rosarena uh, or with Harris much more so than a Rosarena who's now going to be 29 and you know are his plate skills going to start catching up how quickly do they do so so i think their prices are similar next year we're i'm moving to harris i think it's Uh, let's let's move to three down and let's start with ellie de la cruz and this is the guy i was referencing earlier when i said um that even if zach geloff gets cold if he's still putting up you know a couple homers during his cold streak and and three four steals during a cold streak that's how these guys stay fantasy relevant. That's why these power speed guys are so valuable. Because you look at Ellie De La Cruz, he has a 652 OPS in the second half with a 41% K rate, Justin. But he still has six homers and two steals in that time, which is a 35-12 full season pace. So you're still getting fantasy goodness. Yes, he's bleeding your, your batting average dry and everything. But he's still bringing some heat there. And that's why these power speed guys, and I know I'm stating the obvious, but just for people that you know, wonder why you gravitate so much to the power speed guys, it's because even when they're cold, they're still giving you a little sprinkle of fantasy juice. Obviously, I'm not advocating cutting or Ellie or anything like that. Um, but these hot and cold streaks, 
Do they bother you with somebody like Ellie? Does it does it inform how you're going to judge him next year? Because he's going to be an expensive pick. We talked about him maybe being a late first rounder next year. What do you think of the cold streak based on that big swing and miss from Ellie Dale Cruz? Um, I mean, I'm not super worried about it. Like, I think some of the swing and miss is a little bit overblown. He's got a 13% swing strike rate. Uh, he's making league average zone contact. Uh, hits the ball extremely hard. 41% K rate since the second half. It's not overblown. Well, it's a strikeout machine. I think that is in part due to some passivity. I mean, he's not like swinging and missing. Like, that's not the reason why the strike uh, the strikeout rate is up there. Um, I I think he's going to be fine. Like, I think he, I, he's got like a 250-something XBA. Uh, my bigger concern is the massive ground ball rate. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's got an over 50% ground ball rate uh, and a fly ball rate of 21%. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So he's slam, Ellie's slamming the ball on the ground. Yeah. And, and, and so you're going to get, you know, when that happens, like sometimes you're going to get some bad Babbitt uh, luck. Sometimes you're going to get some good Babbitt luck because yeah. it's so fast. So um, I don't think there's any reason to be that worried about Ellie De La Cruz. I think this kind of profile, though, you're going to have massive ups and massive downs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've got to be able to roll with them. And so for those of you playing head-to-head leagues last, uh, next year. A little different you might want to uh, kind of drop him down your board a little bit. But those of you playing Roto, I don't see why there's there'd be any reason for him not to be a borderline first-round pick next year. I, yeah, I just don't, yeah, still love Ellie. And again, one of the reasons I love him is because even when he's icy, you're still getting some power. You're still getting some speed. Push back a little bit on the swing and miss thing, though. During the second half, 15% swing and strike rate. That's four points better, you know, above league average. That's that's some that's some decent swing and miss there, along with the batted ball issue that you're talking about with the ground ball rate soaring. Um, but that that, that just, doesn't translate into a forty percent strikeout rate. Like, yeah, is he going to have like close to a thirty percent strikeout your, rate? Your swing strike rate doesn't. It, it's not just I times know, two, like, and that's your strikeout rate. I also don't think he has great command of the zone, though. Like, do you not believe that? Ellie De La Cruz is a major strikeout problem. I don't know that it's a problem, especially in he, this day and age. Terrible batted ball. Or I mean, a terrible plate profile. He doesn't walk and he strikes out. I'm curious what what why you're downplaying it. I still love him because like, he's, he's still making, got great. He's making good in zone contact for a power hitter. Like he he because he's a guy who's still going to make contact in the zone eighty six percent of the time. Well, that's I'm why going, we like him. Yeah, but you can't look at a thirty five percent K rate and six percent walk and not have some concerns. I mean, if you're not, like I said, ahead, I'm sorry. like I think I think this is just a guy who's going to run hot and cold. And so, like, there's going to be a month where yes, he's you know doing this where he's striking out too much, and uh, and then there's going to be a month you know where he hits 12 home runs because he's not striking out, For you sure. know, so much. So, like, I'm not, like, I think in the wash it all is going to even itself out, and the tools are so loud that I think that they're going to overplay it. Maybe it's a guy as he ages and puts on weight that has bigger issues. Um, but, I mean, in terms of, like, next season, I'm not super worried about drafting L.A. Delacruz. I, I'm, it depends where he goes, to be honest. If he's a firm first-rounder, like mid-first-rounder, I won't have Ellie Dale Cruz. I anymore. think that's fair, yeah. There's also 376 Babbitt and a 31% uh, homer to fly ball rate. Like he's, 
those rates are going to need to be high. Like, there's just a lot of volatility here. And again, I know we just did a is he a first rounder episode where we gushed on. I love Ellie De La Cruz. I really do. I do think there are concerns with the play profile, though. And that's why I wasn't trying to get him for, at all costs in my leagues for 300 something bucks. Because there's another world, there's an alternate timeline where Ellie De La Cruz, uh, you know, struck out 41% of the time in his first three weeks and got sent back out instead of t- setting the league on fire the way he did in real life. So um, your point about being careful in head-to-head, maybe sl- slotting him down 10, 20 spots um, because of that volatility makes some sense. But overall, I'm still pro. I just think that the plate skills are exposing where his where Ellie De La Cruz's downside is. Did you see ESPN stats and info tweet on him yesterday? No, what did they say? So I think he's got 15 home runs and 10 stolen bases through his first career 58 games only one player in major league baseball history did that barry bonds oh my god ellie de la cruz getting compared to barry bonds yeah like i mean like and obviously like you know different player you know bonds like also had like double digit walk rates you know sometimes like 40 percent walk rates (laughs) sometimes triple digit walk rates somehow i don't know yeah yeah he had a double double digit intentionally intentional walk (laughs) yes i mean so uh like obviously a different player but uh you know he's just he's just an amazing athlete and yeah um what he can do on the bases and you know even with the 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 minuscule fly ball rate the amount of home runs he can hit like I, I just think like there's also a world in which he just gets better. Like he, like yeah. And so like we can't like I, I understand your concerns, but like I think the concerns for at least for me are outweighed by just how loud the tools are. For sure, for sure. But don't forget the lessons of Javi Baez, right? Like yeah, it's the same. It's, it's the same profile. It's the same profile. It's not the it's, same. It's, yes, it is. Like yes, it is. I, I I disagree with that. It is the same general profile. Ellie Dale Cruz is bigger, might have a bit more raw power. It's the same general profile. Just be careful. Just be careful. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Walker, another rookie, doing some good things, but he's on three down here. Um, five eighty eight OPS against lefties this year. Five forty eight OPS in the second half. Five seventy six since June uh, since July first. The July 1st and the second half ones, that's a, that's a two-week shift. So I, did, I probably didn't need to include both of those. Bottom line, though, is he is a bit cold. Um, I highlighted the verse lefty situation because that that's kind of shocking to me. Obviously, he's a right-hander himself, Jordan Walker. You would expect the platoon advantage there. And he's just getting nothing going against lefties. It's only 67 plate appearances. This is why split, uh, you know, leaning on splits too heavily can be dangerous, particularly lefty splits, because the samples can be small. And Jordan Walker has a 205 BABIP against them. So I don't want to make this a referendum on how good or bad he is against lefties. But more to the point of, do you have any concerns? Because the last two months, or the last month and a half since July 1st, has been pretty bad for Jordan Walker. Has he had cut anywhere in shallow formats, let's say 10s specifically? Uh... I mean, I can understand cutting him in a 10. I don't know that I would. Like, I just, again, I think the tools are really, really loud. He's making uh, league average in-zone contact for the year. Um, I just don't think we're going to have maybe the breakout that we thought we might. Um, on the plus side, like, I think the playing time situation is kind of clearing up a little bit because of injuries in sure. uh, St. Louis. And I think they're also committing to him as a young guy they want to kind of give an opportunity for. Uh, for. So, 
he can hit his way out of this. He also has a pretty big ground ball tilt with a 50% yes. ground ball rate. Um, that's, I think, a little bit more concerning because that's something we did see, you know, a little bit in the minor leagues, like, you know, mid-40s ground ball rate. So It's, it's a little right-handed Jason Hayward looking. Oh, times. no, don't say that. Like, I'm just I, saying. Yeah, it gives so- me that vibe because he's got the same build, too, Jordan Walker does. So I see this, you know, big 6'5 guy that I think is going to be blasting 35-plus homers. I thought that of Hayward, too. And he's beating the ball into the ground. I'm not saying he's already there yet, but it gives me that, especially because Hayward played for the Cardinals, too. So I'm seeing, like, mirror image here uh, with Jordan Walker. Let me ask you this. And this is another, I guess we're kind of, you know, reviewing our own work here and critiquing ourselves. Should we be less strident with somebody like this in the preseason where where we basically said, if he plays, he's great. Playing time is our only concern. And we were just saying, you know, give me 400 plate appearances minimum, and this guy's a stud. He's going to get there. He has 297 right now. It's almost certain, barring an injury, that Jordan Walker will get 400-plus plate appearances. He's not a stud. He's yeah. nowhere near. So do we have to be less strident on these rookies and saying the whole, like, playing time's the only issue. Everything else is in place. Because I kind of feel that way with somebody like Walker, and it's it, it's making me at least reconsider strident, uh, you know, opinions like that. I mean, it's really hard because there's gonna be uh, there's gonna be examples people point to where they go, well, look at this guy; he was amazing, like right, mm-hmm. like. And I think we need to remember a little bit that not everybody's gonna be J. Rod; that a lot of guys are gonna end up being Kelnick, um, and. Uh, and, and just be a little bit more cautious. You know, you can pick and choose, I think, your, you know, your prospects that you want to kind of go all in on um, based on price. Like I, you know, you know, yes, every once in a while there's going to be the Bobby Witts and the Corbin Carrolls and guys like that, that uh-huh. like, hey, they go really high and they deserve to go really high. But there's also going to be guys that, hey, you, you thought were going to be really good and end up either being really bad or mediocre because baseball is fucking hard. I mean, that's just... Anthony Volpe. <coughs> Sorry, yeah. I've got this call. Volpe! Volpe! Uh, it's like, it's stuck. Think, you can hear it there. I think Volpe is a really good example of someone, while he has obviously disappointed, you've at least gotten fantasy juice from him, right? 16 home runs, 20 stolen bases. Like, mm-hmm. yes, the batting average has been atrocious. Pummeling but- your batting average. But like you can you can kind of counteract that a little bit with other guys. Sure. Whereas a guy like Jordan Walker, there hasn't been the fantasy juice to like support like the other bad stuff, right? Ten homers, five steals, two fifty four average. It's fine, but it's not eye popping. Yeah, and like and also like Walker got sent down. Like you had to hold that him through that and, and hold him through like Hey, he's only playing three times this week. Um, and so I think, you know, I think the the number one thing I'm always going to be looking for in terms of, and I think this is what I personally missed on Jordan Walker, is opportunity, right? Like, we knew with Corbin Carroll that, especially because of his defense, he was going to play every single day. You yeah. know, Volpe has played, in spite of the, his struggles, he has played every single day. And that's at least allowed him to compile some pretty juicy fantasy stats in some of the categories. Whereas Walker, yeah. whereas Walker, like, 
we knew coming in that St. Louis was kind of a nightmare in terms of playing time. It was a and, loaded And we ignored line. it with Walker. Yep. You and I specifically, we ignored it with Walker, and we and got I, too blind on him. And I think that, you know, one of the things I really wanted to do with doing projections this year was like, hey, I want to take my bias out of it. Um, and I think my, you know, if, if I go look at my projection for Walker, like I don't think it was necessarily out of pocket, but um, – I, I think uh, I, I was a little bit too lofty on the plate appearances. Um, mm-hmm. and, and because of that, uh, I think I overrated him. And when I got to the draft table, I ignored a little bit of, hey, I've got him as my 18th third baseman. Like, I took him higher than my 18th third baseman. Yeah. No, I, I was definitely there, too. You know, I really like Jordan Walker. And I was in that mode of, like, you know, if he's playing, he's great. And it's like, we got to entertain the, the downside possibilities a bit more with some of these rookies, even if you love them, just yep. to keep yourself in check. And that was a guy I think we both got a little drunk on. And he hasn't been a flop either. I don't think Jordan Walker's been a complete flop. No, you mentioned fine. the headache that you had to deal with. Um, people might not even have him anymore, which I guess isn't so bad because he's on three down for a reason. But yeah, uh, let's shift from two really impressive rookies to a, a crusty veteran who I'm just curious if he's even going to be on your board next year. Obviously, you got to rank him somewhere, but Andrew Benintendi is three down for right now. He's, he's pretty much three down for the year, though. I, I could have definitely done a uh, you know season-long three down. He had a good June, and that is it. Other than that, he's been under a 685 OPS every single month of the season. The last 28 days, 191 average with a homer, no steal, or excuse me, three steals. Got to give him his credit for his three steals. But he has two and 12 on the season. Andrew Benintendi, I don't think he's a hold anywhere. I don't even think he's a 15-team hold right now if, if you've got somebody better. Um, so I'm, you can dispute that if you disagree. Uh, but other than that, I'm interested in your thoughts next year on Benintendi. Is he, is he cooked as a fantasy asset? Speaking of Jason Hayward, who actually had a rebirth this year, so maybe it's not the best to bring him up. But Hayward went through some years where he was just kind of a, a fantasy afterthought. Is that a phase that Andrew Benintendi is about to enter? Um, I'm looking at my projection that I had for him in preseason, and uh, like, man, I, I was fairly spot on with one glaring exception. I thought he had way more than two home runs. I, I didn't know I was he was going to say, 20, but I had him for 12. Um, but I had him for 267, 267 batting average. I had him for 67 runs, which is right around where he's probably going to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, I am for 57 uh, RBIs, which is definitely not where he's going to finish. And I am for 10 stolen <laughs> bases. He's got 12. Uh, so, um, like, I feel pretty good about my projection on him. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I think I, I mean, I don't know that anybody thought the home, the homers were going to completely fall apart, especially with his talk in the preseason. Like, well, now that I'm in this park, I'm going to be able to hit for more power. I, I bought into that a little bit. Uh, and maybe I shouldn't have. He went busy um, us on that. Yeah, he, he totally did. Uh, I, I disagree that he's a cut in 15-team leagues just because I know what's out there in 15-team leagues. Um, and he's going to play every day because he's got that contract. Like so, Do you uh, want that? Do you really want him to play every day? I mean. I know he's hitting 269. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think you have. I mean, like, uh, do I have certain teams in which he's going to be on my bench? Absolutely. But I also have other teams where, like, oh, man, my fifth outfielder is a guy who played, you know, it's Alec Burleson. Plays three, three times a week. I get you. Yeah. I get you. No, but like, I, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll amend. He's cuttable. He's not a, he's not a guaranteed yeah. cut. 
He's Andrew Benintendi in 15, though, is very cuttable. I, if I think you find goes, somebody. I think it goes back to our, our, our usual phrase of, he yep. should be roster on somebody's team. It doesn't need to be your team. Yeah, in a 15, that it might not be your team. All right, we got to do a little uh, speed round of hold or fold here. i got three struggling starters who've been great at points this year and been very well regarded, but I wonder if their recent cold streaks are enough for you to cut them. So you're going to let me know where you're holding or folding. Reed Detmers, back-to-back seven earned run outings, a 10-30 ERA in his last six. I'm going to start here just because I've been backing this guy big time. Love Reed Detmers. He was pitching brilliantly. I thought we were getting a, another brilliant second half. It's actually been three seven-earn run outings within these last six um, at the Dodgers, at Houston, and home to Seattle. You know, you maybe could have avoided those if you were streaming him, but the problem was people weren't really streaming Reed Detmers because he looked like he was on track fully to trust even against tough teams. It's been rough. I'm certainly holding in 15s, but I think I'm benching him and then he's cuttable in 12s and 10s for me with Reed Detmers. What do you think? Um, yeah. He, he uh, gets Tampa he, Bay this week, by the way, I should point out. And then Cincinnati the week after. Um, okay. So, I, yeah, I, I'm totally fine moving on. Um, yeah. And, and what about in 15s? Are you holding there in reserve? I, th- I, I think in 15s you've got to hold. Like, there's just, I mean, you should look at, I you know, I, I mentioned to you prior to recording, like, my main event team, like I had to drop, you know, my top two starters in Musgrove and Nestor Cortez this week because of injuries. Um, and my crap out there. My if if I had told you this was going to be my pitching <laughs> staff at the beginning of the year, you'd be like, "Well, enjoy 15th place. At least you won't have to make moves in August." And I mean, yeah. I'm in second place in my league, so um, yeah, I, I don't think you can drop him in 15, but 10s and 12s, I think you can drop him and move on, move on for someone else. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate with Detmers, and you might end up revisiting him down the line in those leagues. You got to be yeah. comfortable with that. Um, but right now, I don't think you can start him, and as such, he might just be better off being cut to pick up somebody else. Mitch Keller has a 7.71 ERA in his last six starts, but solid in his last two against Atlanta and Cincinnati. So the best offense and a pretty good offense. Is that keeping you engaged with Mitch Keller, or do you move on from him? Where are you cut? Where are you holding? Where are you folding? I mean, obviously, again, in 15s, like you can't cut just because there's just nobody available. Um, I think in 12s, I might hold because he's at Minnesota this week, and then next week he lines up for uh, a start versus uh, St. Louis. Pittsburgh is still the best park to pitch in in baseball, uh, and uh, so while I'm scared of St. Louis, by the way, I, that's not a positive for me. Their offense is too good. They're they're yeah. they're bad team. They're they're like one of those sneaky bad teams because they're bad record. But you don't want to stream against them. It is at home though. Yeah, it's so that always helps with Keller. I like that pitching at home. Like you said, it's a bad team, and right now a lot of people are looking for wins. So I think like I think he is a borderline cut in a twelve, but um, I don't think you have to necessarily cut him and move on. That's fair, Mitch Keller. Not necessarily cut. I agree. By the way. Um, Sitting but holding in 15s, borderline in 12, easy cut in 10s, probably already cut him in 10s. Hazel Cesardo is our last one here, and this one's a bummer, man, because it kind of came out of nowhere as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, he still has a 391 ERA on the season, so I don't want to overstress the struggles here, but it is a 1013 ERA in his last three, and he's facing Houston this week. I'm not cutting Lazardo anywhere. That's where I'm at right now. But I wonder if you're sitting him up against Houston just to kind of see where he's at. He's gone four and two thirds, 
five and a third, three and a third in those last three outings that have been bad. He beasted on Colorado, but then a four-inning start against Seattle, the, the one before that. So four of his last five have been um, under five and two-thirds innings. Jesus Lizardo, starter sit, basically. Oh, unless you are cutting him somewhere, but I doubt you are, personally. I mean, I don't think you're cutting him. At least you're getting a ton of strikeouts. There's win potential with Miami, you know, being better. It's Which feels weird hard. to say. Yeah, I know. Uh, and the walk rate, you know, while it's gone up a little bit, like, it's been really good most of the year. It's all about command with him. I do wonder, though, this is the most amount of innings he's ever thrown at the Major League level. He's already 30, you know, over 30 innings above his previous high. I wonder if he's just getting tired, um, you know? I think that's the case with a lot of young arms right now. Yeah. You just don't know if it's fatigue or skill degradation, but usually fatigue in August. I think you just need to be really smart about his starts, which means you're not starting him this week at Houston, and next week at San Diego makes him really iffy. So um, I think that while I wouldn't drop him, he's probably sitting on my bench most weeks, uh, at least until they have a lighter schedule. San Diego's another team that, like, they're not even performing. At least St. Louis's offense is performing. San Diego's offense isn't performing that well, and yet I run scared of them. I still don't yeah. want to run with too many guys against them. Uh, again, you can't cut Lazardo. I don't think you're finding anything better, even in a 10-teamer. But I do think a couple sits here against Houston and San Diego makes some sense with him. He's one of those guys that can turn on a dime, right? If he drops seven scoreless with 15 strikeouts against Houston, I would be literally 0% surprised. That doesn't mean I don't think... That doesn't mean that you can't sit him, though. I still yeah. think that there's viability in a sit there. Um, Justin, as we head out here... Well, actually, you know what? We'll talk about Friday. I want to talk about managing down the stretch here. Okay. But it's a bit it's a bigger conversation and we don't really have time. I got a heart out here in a few minutes. But I want to I want to bring that to the table on Friday about because we got a shift now, right? You're managing the standings directly. Mm -hmm. And that can mean cutting somebody who's hit 20 homers this year to pick up a guy who has six steals in the last 2 weeks. So, we'll get into more of that on Friday. Until then, I hope you have a great weekend. I'm glad you're doing better by the way health-wise. I didn't bring that up at the beginning, but you sound much better and you look better than you did after dealing with the sickness last week. So I hope you have a wonderful weekend, and I'll talk to you Friday. Take it easy.